Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. Today's episode is an incredible examination of the power behind a story. Today's guest is Rachel Barbeau, who spent 17 years as a sports broadcaster covering some of the most exciting coaches, players, and teams in college football. Throughout her illustrious broadcasting career, Rachel climbed the ranks in the heavily male-dominated industry to become the first woman to host her own show on Sirius XM. Rachel also holds a vote for the Heisman Trophy. Her empathy, vulnerability, and ability to unearth stories that others, frankly, just didn't see, cemented Rachel's place in sport broadcasting. It was these attributes, though, that also led her to her current journey. In 2016, Rachel was literally moved to tears by the headlines dominating college football. Stories of domestic violence, drug use, crime, and other bad acts by coaches and players alike dominated the media. These were the people and teams that Rachel had built a career around. She knew their hearts. She knew who they were. She knew that the full story of college football was not being told. So she had an important decision to make. Turn a blind eye, look the other way, ignore the story, keep doing the status quo, or step in and do something about the problem. She chose the latter and in 2016 founded I'm Changing the Narrative, which has since grown into a national movement centered on the power athletes have to shape stories and their own purpose in life. In this episode, Rachel tells us not only about the path she took to build her incredible sport casting career, but also why and how she founded this movement that has since reached thousands of college athletes across every corner of this nation. This is a great episode if you're interested in building a sport casting career as Rachel gives us building blocks for how to do so. If you're interested in public speaking or building a movement like I'm Changing the Narrative, it's also a great listen because she gives pointers on how to enter those spaces as well. Finally, Rachel, as someone who is constantly traveling this nation, meeting with young people, tells us what she believes the biggest problem facing America's college students is today. If you are a college professor, coach, administrator, parent, or frankly, college student, this is something you need to be aware of, and we need to band together to address it. It is important to note that in discussing this, part of our conversation centers around domestic violence and suicidal ideation, so please take this trigger warning to heart. Recently, Rachel published her first book, Relentless Joy, Finding Freedom, Passion, and Happiness Even When You Have to Fight for It. We touch on some of the difficult moments Rachel overcame and how she learned to fight for joy even amidst great darkness in her life. 
These are such important tools for the issues related to mental health that today's college students and adults alike are facing. The book is an incredible read and we will drop a link to purchase it in the show notes. Rachel and I met all the way back in 2012 when she was a sport radio host in Alabama and I was making the rounds as a sport law media guest. She is one of the kindest souls you will ever meet who leads with vulnerability. I'm so excited for this conversation and the lives it is going to touch. So now join me in welcoming Rachel Barbeau to the Ruling Sports Podcast. Rachel, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. We've been friends for over a decade, so it's cool for me to be on the opposite side of the chair because you're typically interviewing me. So I'm excited to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about today, I was thinking about uh, years and years ago when I was a sideline reporter, you were in Miami, I stayed with you and we had such a lovely time. And, you know, you are your straight shooter, you're a go-getter and you're such a warm, wonderful person. And I just think about, you know, those fun times and, and that, that time and just watching your career um, really blossom and you taking the bull by the horns and creating something in a lane and carving out a lane all for your own and going for it and doing it. (laughs) You too, which is why we're here because you're doing incredible things. So we start the show the same way every time. What goal, quote, or mindset has guided your life? I'll tell you the thing that has guided my life and where I'm at right this second. It's it's not about you. You were not born for you. And once you figure that out, everything else becomes crystal clear. You know, when you recognize that, yes, you can have your own dreams and goals and all of those things, but really it's about serving others, helping others. It really just puts a depth and a a width to your life that is that's and it makes it so very special. And you start seeing things as miraculous left and right on a daily basis. And and so that's what I've lived, you know, as for most of my life. And then right now, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but I have this phrase called a joy starter. And I coined the phrase and it comes from the book. But a joy starter is somebody, Alicia, who notices joy, spreads joy and is joy. Mm -hmm. And we're not always going to be joyful. There are circumstances that are hard in life. And um, sometimes we need people to step in and be a joy starter for us. And so those are two things that are really just percolating in my life right now. I, I love it. And I can attest that you do live by both of those. And you're exactly right. When you're living for something other than yourself, both you and I are people of faith. Yeah. Everybody who's listening may not be, but yeah. when you're living for something beyond yourself, it it really helps put things into perspective and helps you realize that you can in fact navigate whatever life throws at you. So you are defined by so many titles in this life. You are a daughter. You're now a bonus mom. You're a wife. You're a sport broadcaster. You're a published author. But prior to your current endeavor, which we'll get to, you were a leading national sportcaster and the first female Sirius XM ESPNU host. What attracted you to broadcasting? I always knew, Alicia, that I wanted to do something with people, something on. I uh, I remember I was going to do general general assignment reporting, and then I recognized it was house fires and car wrecks. And I am just, you know me, and like for those that are watching, I am way too emotional. Like I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I could not have handled it. And so... I went to school, I went to Auburn thinking I was going to be a general assignment reporter, but I got sent out by the campus TV station 
um, on assignment to cover the baseball team. And I was a diamond doll. I had not put two and two together. And I remember doing this interview and it was Steve Renfro, the assistant baseball coach at the time. And I was so nervous, Alicia. My, I feel like my eyeballs were shaking. Uh, it was kind of that aha moment where the clouds, you know, shone through and it was like, hey, you're going to do this. Like you're going to put broadcasting together with your love of sports because I love sports. And I did. And I didn't look back um, after I graduated for another 17 years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now you weren't in college for 17 years. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got out and I had, I had some jobs and I climbed the ladder. <laughs> what, what's a diamond doll? It is an official hostess of the baseball team. Oh, yeah. So it, it was super Auburn has always had a really uh, illustrious program. And so it was like you had to go through quizzes and tests and interviews and rounds and rounds. And it was very competitive, I should say. And so it was a you know big honor to be a Diamond Doll and the, one of the official hostesses of, of Auburn baseball. The SEC is different. The SEC is truly in and of itself <laughs> different animal. Thank you. I didn't know what that was. So like you mentioned, you have this 17 year long sport broadcasting career. Is there an interview or maybe a couple of interviews though, that you've conducted that stand out from the rest? I don't know if it was necessarily an an interview. You know, I, I think for me, it was watching somebody open up like a flower when, and you know this in the role that you've been in, when they know you've done your research. You know, maybe they're a little bit like they don't want to do it or they're tired or, you know, whatever. Maybe it's a you know former athlete at a, at a golf tournament or whatever it is, or, you know, player after the locker room. And if you can hit them with something personal or something where it shows that you went beyond the first page of Google and you like did your research, you, you can people go, you can watch people go rip, rip. And then all of a sudden it becomes a whole new interview. And it's one of the great, and I, you know, I ended up towards the end of my career, coaching young sportscasters, because I wanted to teach them what it looked like to truly um, research, to study, to study a human being, and then how to do the art of an interview. Yeah. That, that's so great. And you're exactly right. That research and frankly, knowledge base is what makes a good reporter different from a great reporter. And also like for those people listening who want to be journalists, you need to be prepared for anything. And research helps you navigate those uncomfortable situations where perhaps an athlete or coach is like, wait, no, that's not what I said. You can go back to the research and be like, actually, in fact, it is. I don't know where I got this from. Uh, Maybe it came from myself. But I remember when I was covering college football and I was doing the pregame show that came on before the official Auburn pregame show. And one of the my co-hosts is now on the SEC network. And then one was a former quarterback. And I knew as a woman that I had to work twice as hard to be respected half as much, right? And I didn't know my stuff like you talked about. So I, every week, starting on Monday, I would do, I would have a a three ring binder. And the first section was the home, your home team, like Auburn. The other, the other section was the opponent, right? Studying their games. And then after that, the section after that was both coaches, you know, stats and figures and facts on both coaches. Then it was two or three star players on each one. These were like my sections in the binder. And then the, then the last was if they'd had history, if they had uh, played each other before. And I remember there was one time, you know, one of my co-hosts was kind of like, no, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, actually, and I flipped (laughs) in the binder and he just exactly like you said. And so um, please take the binder from me, take it and run with it. 
But that's where the idea that people would say you're, you're like, you're over preparer. That was kind of like my reputation. And I got it from that and I never quit. And mm-hmm. so be an over preparer. You talk about this a little bit in the book, which again, we'll get to here shortly, but can you tell yeah. us about Dak Prescott and your coverage of him? You know, I, I, I subscribe to this idea called radical vulnerability, Alicia, and I'm not for everybody. I've learned that in my life. You've probably learned it, you know, like, I don't think anybody is, but you know, people that are really putting themselves out there and are sensitive human beings, like we are, like, it's hard sometimes. And, but I had just lost my father. I was very raw and, and, and vulnerable. And he had lost his mother, not too far, you know, in the past. And we were about to do an interview that I had fought for, you know, these, uh, this media, this media outlet in New York didn't really see the value of Dak Prescott. (laughs) They uh, didn't want to go to a Mississippi school and cover Mm -hmm. him. And I fought and fought and fought and fought. And we, we, you know, went around a a tornado, not kidding and got there. And because of the shared loss, he ends up doing this interview with me. That is like that the SID afterwards says, you know, it's like Tom Rinaldi stuff. And I said, Mm -hmm. look, I wish it wasn't Tom Rinaldi stuff. You know, we're both members of a club that I would wish on no one. You know, we've lost our parents too soon. And little did I know I would lose my mom too just a few years later. But yeah, that that started this bond and I wrote an article and it was the most searched for years while the while the site was up. And then when I decided to write the book, I, I messaged him and asked him, do you mind if I include this? And he signed off on it. He signed the release. And I was, I'm really, really grateful. Yeah. It goes to just kind of a difference. I, I don't want to put this into gender buckets, but yeah. I am. W- women look at stories a little bit different. And you and I have been in the media space for a while now. I've had to fight for stories too, where you're like, how do you not see the value in this? Like, I promise you, just trust me. So it's, it's incredible that you fought for what you believed in and that it impacted lives, including yours and his. So to that point of doing your research, radical vulnerability, a lot of our listeners here are athletes and these athletes are looking to optimize their life beyond the game. What advice do you have for them as it relates to meaningfully engaging with the media? Whoo, this is so good. They're not the enemy. They are not the enemy. And stop looking at them at the enemy and stop looking at them after a game like, I got to do that. You know, like look at them as an opportunity to get your brand out there, to be articulate, to in to better your um your communication skills. You know, we're, we're not the enemy. The other thing I would say to athletes is everything you say, everything you do, everything you put online is your brand. You yeah. are either building the, 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 the house, the, the structure of your brand, or you're tearing it down. And to that point, you need to be who you say you are. Don't be somebody else away from coach, somebody else away from the media, somebody else away. And you're this way, but you're purporting to be another way. That's mm-hmm. the easiest way to uh, to burn your own house down, so to speak, and pull the bricks out. Um, be genuine, be who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're, I, I tell people all the time, if you're an introvert, be an introvert, but learn how to have communication skills. If you're an extrovert, celebrate that. But I think it's really important that authenticity and, and brand building too, but also as a whole to wrap it up is we are not the enemy mm-hmm. and we can help you tremendously get a message out there if you stop viewing us as the enemy. 
that that's a great point. Now, listen, there might be a couple of sharks in the media who yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the enemy, but you know who those people are and you can avoid yeah. them. But just like we talked about reporters needing to prepare for interviews to Rachel's point, what an athlete can do is prepare for the brand that they want to build. Come into these interviews with a message, come in with a strategy know how you're going to use the media and the gift and opportunity they present. So I, I love that advice. We've already talked about the fact that as a woman, you felt like you had to prepare twice as much for half of the recognition. You've been a trailblazer in the industry. One thing that I love is you are the first and only known female sportcaster to fully participate in a semi or professional football training camp. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it's hilarious now, you know, my bonus son's 14, like he discovered the video that's on YouTube a couple of years ago. And it's like, Rachel, you know, and I'm like, I know I obviously was not meant to play sports. I was meant to cover sports, but I had a, 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 a guy who called into the radio show that I was doing and I had taken an uncommon route. I was doing sports talk radio. There weren't a lot of women in sports talk radio. I, I bet on myself and I didn't want to go through typical media and news station and try to work myself up to news. I wanted to cover sports from the very beginning. So I took a risk and I, I had a, a gentleman named DJ Jones that that brought me in three days a week, not for a segment, for the whole show, Alicia. Like I, I credit him all the time. I thank him all the time for what he did for my career. But there was a guy that used to call in this radio show that I was that I, I did, and he used to bad Southern accent. Go, hey girl, you ain't know nothing about football. You ain't never strapped on a helmet. Where, where was the show? Because I think listeners need to yeah. understand where the show was. <laughs> Georgia, and and I would say to him every time, but, but but no 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 no. I was like, and I, I wouldn't even stutter. Like I I was emphatic. I was like, I do know football. I'll offer a different perspective. No, I haven't played, but I had two brothers that played. I studied the game. I did it. You know. And, uh, and he just kept calling in. And so finally, my co-host had this crazy idea. And he was like, why don't you go to training camp with the Columbus Lions? And I'm like, what? And, and I'm like, okay. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. We totally bombarded the coach on the air. And he was like, look, he was like, he paused. And it felt like the longest pause in the world. And he said, here's the deal. He said, um, we're going, you have to sign a waiver or release. <laughs> He said, I'm yeah. going to treat you like everybody else. And he said, you're going to have to learn the playbook. And he said, dun, 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 dun. He said, um, we're going to tackle you. And I'm like, oh, and <laughs> I'm built close to the ground. Like I'm petite, you know? Like, yeah. So I lasted five days to two days before I was medically released. I think I would last like 10 minutes. And, and what, what I think is so ironic and funny about this is, yes, there are a lot of current and former athletes, collegiate, high school, NFL, covering sports. But there's a lot of men on sport radio who have never played football either. And I've never seen, at least to my knowledge, any of them go through a training yeah. camp. So, yeah. but again, doesn't that show you like there still is that standard? You know, there's still as much progress as we've made. There still are places in broadcasting where women aren't, you know, really, I want to see that change. Like I, I, I long to see that change. When you see a desk full of all men, I believe a woman that's not just because she's a woman. I, I don't want that. I right. want a worthy woman who knows her stuff, who can give and take with them. And I would love to see it. Yeah. And, and again, like I came into this industry in 2011 and 
yeah, some progress has been made. But as you were saying that, I was going through some of the biggest desks in media. And I'm like, we're we're not even remotely. We're not, we're not there. We're not there. And it's like, yeah, I had an agent tell me one time, and I I don't think I've ever cried harder. Like it's right up there with my my hard cries. He said, um, you're not going to get that job. And I was like, why? And he said, because you're a woman and they're not ready for it. And I was like, you know, but why are you my agent then? Like, what, what's the point? Like, if you yeah. don't think I can get the highest job, no. like, we'll cut our losses. No. Here. Yeah, I, I split from him not long after, but yeah, I, th- I think I know who that. I think I know who that yes. was. I but, think you. Yeah. I think you do know about that. You do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this could be a really fun episode. Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. Just just so also listeners understand a little bit more about your career trajectory, you had a primetime radio show in Atlanta, but what were some of the other markets that you did sport radio in? I started in Columbus, and then I went from Columbus to Tuscaloosa, and then went Tuscaloosa to Birmingham. Um, I had a show opposite Paul Feinbaum. He's a friend of mine. He's great, but I was like the ballsy one, and you know, I'm a woman, which is hilarious to go out, to go against him. And many other people wouldn't. And then I went, I got plucked from Birmingham to Atlanta with Cordell Stewart and Carl Dukes in the afternoon. Again, very few women in drive time talk sports. And then from there, they plucked me and became the first female host on Sirius XM ESPNU. From there, I got chosen to host the very first college football playoff game. And I did that for five years. I was associated with them. And then right around that time, I also got a Heisman vote, which I still maintain to this day, which is amazing. That is amazing. You're, you're one of the only women with yeah. the Heisman vote. So again, you're, you're a trailblazer. Does it ever get lonely being a trailblazer? You know, that's a really good question. Yes. I remember one time, not too many years ago, before I retired in 2019 to, to follow, I'm changing the narrative fully. I, I wanted to quit as mm-hmm. much, you know, it was like, it would be seven steps forward, Alicia, and four steps back, you know, to like seven steps. And I remember I was so disheartened over whatever was going on at the time. And there was a young woman that I was coaching and she said something to me, I'll never forget. She said, but if you quit, what will I do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I get it. I can't quit. I just have to go gather myself and my courage and get over this and and deal with it and process it and, and keep moving. And um, yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, very much. Lots, lots and lots and lots of pressure. I uh there's a boss, he shall remain nameless. Um, he this was in Atlanta. Uh I asked a I asked a, a guest a question and, and, and he was like, and, and the guest came back and he was like, well, what is the answer? And it was like, the, the answer was something didn't even have to do with the question. Right. And I didn't know. And I was like, Hey, you know, I was like, let me figure that out or something like that. And that boss um, thought that I needed to be sidelined. I was suspended from interviews for six weeks. Wow. So it was so 
it was so embarrassing. Like you talk about, you know, living through this and I'm, and I'm glad I did because I believe I paved the way. I know that Danny Wexelman is, is a friend of mine at, you know, at uh serious XM covering baseball. And, you know, we talk a lot and she's like, you paved the way for me. And I'm like, no, you did it yourself. Maybe a teeny bit of me, but I remember like I would do the shows, Alicia. And then when it came to the interview, he told me I had to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I mean, I don't know if his intention was to like rub my face in it and publicly humiliate Mm -hmm. me, but it felt like it and um, wished him well and moved on. And I went to higher places. Um, But yeah, there, there were some tough times in the midst of all the success. And, and I don't, and some people would say, why would you get on an interview or a podcast and talk about that? Because I subscribe to the idea of radical vulnerability, like I talked about, I subscribe to the idea of realness. Mm-hmm. And if I get on here and your listeners see this glossy, peachy, positive view of me, and I tell them all the great things about my career, then when they hit the skids, when they encounter a bad boss, when they encounter somebody who maybe just feels like they have it out personally for you and not professionally, what are they going to do? I want them right. to know that I endured and I kept going, but I endured a lot of those people along the way. And I didn't, I wasn't ugly to them. I just went along my way and said, thank you. And I kept moving and, and they sure saw me at the top. It's funny how that works where and maybe this is naive. I've always subscribed to a belief that if you're a good person and you treat people the right way, and like you're living a good, clean, honest life and you're also really good at what you do. It's all going to work out. And, and these yeah. people who are throwing stones, making your life and your job a lot harder than it needs to be, they're going to maintain at a certain level. It's, it's, it's hard to move up when you're a nasty, cruel person. So I, I love that part of the story. But I also really appreciate, to your point, the radical vulnerability, because I think most women have at least one, if not many stories like what you just explained. And so coming to the table, laying it down can help a lot of people realize you're not alone, but you also don't need to play into this nonsense. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And, and uh, it was why I coached Alicia. It's why I chose to coach 40 young women, young sportscasters over a seven year period in the years right before I retired, because I wanted these young women to know, and women of all ages, I coached women of all ages, but I wanted people to know that you don't have to go to dinner with him to get the job. Yeah. You, if it feels sleazy, if it feels off, it's probably off, mm-hmm. trust your gut. And you know, there are things that you don't have to do and, mm-hmm. and ways that I hope that you carry yourself. So as you mentioned, you retire from an illustrious sport casting career to to found a movement called I'm Changing the Narrative. Tell us a little bit about what it is and how your broadcasting career inspired the movement. So it's a it's a movement. It's a national movement based on good love for yourself and others, interpersonal relationships, mental health, purpose beyond your job or athletics, and most recently, joy. And I thought that I would take this curriculum and take this. And, and by, I've been telling people this lately, by curriculum, I mean a two-page Google Doc. So like, do not curse the days of small beginnings. People are like, but I'm not ready, but it's not, no, go for it. And, uh, you know, I tell people that because I want people to know like your thing, it may not be fully developed, 
I just knew that I wanted to teach players that you are born for something greater than to just play sports. Playing sports is a platform in which you can choose to affect people positively and you can help a lot of people and you can find what sets your soul on fire and serve through that. And you can do that athlete or not. And so I thought I would take it into high schools, but Dr. Kevin Elko, who is Nick Saban's right-hand man said, uh, oh, by the way, Jimbo Fisher wants you at FSU. Mm -hmm. That was August 26, 2016. And Alicia, since then, I have been to 60 plus colleges, many of them multiple times. I've worked with the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Northern Sun, Customs and Border Patrol, law enforcement, halfway houses, prison ministry, K through five high schools, corporations. And I am going into prisons, into literal prisons this fall. And so we've just recognized that it's not just for athletes. If you're six to 96, if you're still breathing, this curriculum, this message, what I teach is, is for you. And now the coolest thing that's happened is I'm training other speakers and helping them blend their story based mm -hmm. on the tenets of I'm changing the narrative and so that they can go out and we can have a, a much larger ripple on the pond. That's so amazing. There, there's a lot for us to unpack here. So yeah. <laughs> you, from my understanding of where this all was born out of, you were hosting your Sirius XM show and there was just a lot of bad news going on in the world of college football. Anyone who knows Rachel, Rachel wears her heart on her sleeve. She's definitely an empath. And so when bad things happen, she feels them. And so she, she broke down crying on the show, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was the summer of 2016 and it was domestic violence, sexual violence, guys getting in trouble left and right, coaches getting in trouble. It was it was bad. And, um, you know, we talked about earlier the way that I prepare, I would prepare two hours ahead of time. And I remember, you know, ESPN, Fox Sports, USA Today, the top six headlines of each one were negative, 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 negative. We were on the heels of Penn State. We were in the thick of Baylor. And I thought, my God, what have I given my life to? Like this, this is bad. So I, I, that's when this idea was born. Like, what were you born for? What were you? Um, it's not just sports. And and what also happened was there was a player that was caught. And now he's since changed his life. And I'm very, very proud of him, Jeffrey Simmons. But at that time, he was caught on tape striking a woman. And his coach at Mississippi State, Dan Mullen, suspended him for a non-conference game. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in a parking lot and I felt like a hot poker went through my belly. And, and I had I had compartmentalized it. I'd forgiven the person. I had moved on. Um, but I went right back to the night many moons ago where somebody who claimed to love me drug me from one end of the house to the other by my hair. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought... And it's what I still do is I teach you, I teach people that your purpose is oftentimes shrouded inside of your pain. And so I thought if I can go and teach uh, men not to allow that to happen in front of them, because there were other people in the house that night, and no one helped me. If I can teach that, that will possibly help heal my pain. And that's exactly what I did. And mm -hmm. it caught on and oh my gracious. Yeah, here we are. Wow. And, and Jimbo, at, when he was at FSU, was the first person to bring you in to run the curriculum? Yeah. How do you think he heard about it? He heard about it through Dr. Kevin Elko, who was his guy and was also Nick Saban's guy. And so I think Dr. Elko, you know, so much. I'm like, are you like, this is like amazing. You know, I'm like, and Dr. Elko never had heard me speak, Alicia. That's the mm. craziest thing. I think the thing that still gets me is that people will bring me in, uh, whether it's at a church or a speaker engagement or a coach, they don't ask for my notes. 
They don't ask what I'm going to speak on. They don't, they trust. It's the mm-hmm. trust that like, that still to this day, and I hope I never lose the awe and wonder of the trust. Mm-hmm. And particularly, I remember right after FSU, the next one, Clemson had heard about me and, um, through, you know, the, the coaches, they knew me. You said, how did the broadcasting career set it up? The coaches knew me and they knew I had a reputation, a good reputation of a hard worker, you know, easy to work with, you know, over-prepare. And um, he brought me in 20, I think it was 28 days before Clemson dismantled Ohio State and route to national championship. And, and, and th- you know, it, coaches are suspicious, but not suspicious, but superstitious too. And, but especially at that time, wrong message can tank your team, you know, getting yeah. ready for that. And they brought me in and mm. they didn't ask for notes. And it still to this day blows my mind. So, so you, you call it a curriculum and it's yeah. developed well beyond two yeah. pages on a Google doc. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I love what you say about just getting started and everything doesn't need to be perfect. Now, this might be kind of a broad question, but to those people listening who have a story and hear what you're doing, I'm like, hmm, I would like to do something similar. What's one step that they can take today to create their own movement or speaking path? Yeah, so get a Google Doc open and and write it down and visualize your two-year plan, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. And what does that look like? And what do what steps do I need to take today to get to that two year? What steps do I need to take? To, sometimes the goal is so big, it's so hairy and audacious that we think I can't do anything today to get towards that. Yes, you can. You might be able to save five dollars on that Starbucks to buy equipment in mm-hmm. six months that you need to start that photography business or the writing, but you know, whatever it is, right? So there are little things you can do today. And I love, I'm a big fan of whiteboards. So whiteboard it out and put it in your life and put it in your living room so that you look at it every single day. And you're like, here's what I need to do today. Here's how I need to be disciplined. Here's what I can't do today. Here's how I put my nose to the grindstone. Here's the 10 emails I need to send today. And the other thing I would say is be audacious. I recently had somebody, multiple people were sending me pictures of my book in in physical bookstores, right? And I noticed that I was next to this pastor named Mark Batterson. And I he wrote this book called The Circle Maker. Huge fan. I don't fangirl, Alicia, because I'm in sports, but I fangirled over this, this pastor author. And so I sent him a, I like, you know, added him on Twitter. And I was like, yeah, I'm fangirling over Pastor Mark. And he followed me and sent me a DM and he was like, send me your book. And I'm like, be wow. audacious. You yeah. never know who reads their own email, reads their own, you know, DMs, their own social media. And, um, and I just say, you know, you're writing the book of your life mm. right now as we mm-hmm. speak, make it a good one. Hey everyone. I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe and review ruling sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. I I love that you use the word audacious several times in different instances there. Um, There's a leadership book I really like, and they say that one of the keys to success for a business is having big, hairy, audacious goals, B-H-A-Gs. You're never going to achieve your full potential if you don't shoot for the moon. You might not get to the moon tomorrow, but guess how you're never going to get to the moon if you don't <laughs> take that first step. So yeah. I, I love you sharing that. So we've mentioned the book. 
You recently released your first book, Relentless Joy, Finding Freedom, Passion, and Happiness, Even When You Have to Fight for It. What inspired the book? My whole dang life. (laughs) You know, my whole life, um, people had told me, uh, have told me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. I tried in 2018. I wrote a book proposal. I was with a very successful book agent and it just, uh, we didn't get any callbacks and I was heartbroken and she pulled me aside and she said, Rachel, maybe it's just not that you're not supposed to write a book. It's just maybe not right now. And I'm like, okay. And uh, so, you know, the dream was always in the back of my mind. And then people kept asking me and asking me. And then finally, I did a a podcast with a pastor, which again, I did that podcast because I introduced myself and I said, hey, I'd make a great guest on your podcast. And he was like, send me your testimony, send me, you know, about your life. And I sent him some stuff where I'd been on the 700 club. And he's like, okay, yeah. Well, he stops in the middle of podcast and he says, you need to write a book. And I said, I've tried pastor. And he said, I'm introducing you to my book agent after this after this podcast and I met the agent 24 hours later, I was signed to their agency a week later, four months later, I had a book proposal. Six months later, I had a book deal. Mm-hmm. You can get the book pretty much anywhere. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. The best way to find it is by accessing Rachel's website, which we'll link in the show notes. But a theme that comes up consistently in the book is timing. Timing is everything. You know, we, we talk about being in Miami and we were both definitely very single women when we were <laughs> I mean, going through some things. And it, it's cool watching your life now and seeing you with this beautiful family and a wonderful husband and bonus children. But throughout the book, you talk about you might have a plan of what you want your life to look like in that moment, but maybe it's not supposed to look like that in the moment. And you know what else, Alicia, I say that um, may, a lot of times a no is just a not right now. And, um, and we just need to step back and reframe it. The only time I know is a hard no is when you're in dating, you know, and then it is a hard no. Okay. Yeah. Like we don't, no we don't want to stalk, <laughs> stalk anybody. We don't want to, but a lot of times a no is maybe I need to step back and get a little bit more education or experience. Maybe like for me, it wasn't supposed to be 2018. It was supposed to be 2023 to write the book. It wasn't supposed to be calling on the hearts of Kings. It was supposed to be relentless joy. It just wasn't the time in my life. And I hadn't had some of the experiences that I've had today. I hadn't even, I hadn't met Christopher, had not lost my mother. And I don't wish those experiences, you know, I, I wish that obviously I had my mom and I didn't have to write about her in the book, but at the same time, loss has shaped me in a way that makes me even more of an empath and even more sensitive to other human beings and their plight and the things that they have gone through or going through because I've been there, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and what's interesting about the book is I tell people a lot of times you think, well, a book on joy, it's, you know, fluffy and I, I've got joy. What do you need? This book, I say, it's like a gritty, real book on joy. It's like a, there's a, Diction inside of it. There's a, you know, discussions on purity. There's true love. There's loss. There's mental health. There's, and then in woven into all of that is joy. And, and what I love about you and what I love about the book is you've lived, <laughs> you, you've lived a life. <laughs> you've been places, you've seen things, you've done things, you've experienced things. So it's not like you're coming from this naive, sheltered experience telling people, be joyful. Yay. Let's throw glitter and watch unicorns. You're like, no, I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. And here I am on the other side 
And I'm telling you, there's more to life. So it's a beautiful book. And again, I hope everyone picks it up. We'll link to it in the show notes. How many college athletes have you spoken to through the movement? So I don't really know how to quantify that because think about it like this, like it's probably around 70, 60 plus 70 schools now, but many of those I've been to four or five times. So I've Mm -hmm. been there. It might be an athlete, you know, might've gone there freshman, sophomore. So there were new athletes coming in at all times. And then and then also, um, you know, it's we're about to celebrate our seventh birthday, like oh on August God. 26th. So thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of athletes and some, you know, call me ma, some call me auntie, some call me Rach, you know, coach. I fill a void in, in, um, in, a, in a lot of young men's hearts. And what's interesting about it is I, I think me being so maternal and so warm I can come into a football program where a player might be a little bit hesitant to tell his coach what's going on and what he's struggling with. And I'm able to break through some barriers with that maternal warm love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, what's fascinating to me is th- there's a lot of people that work with young people. There's a lot of coaches, athletics directors, professors like myself, but typically we're siloed into one program. So we're getting to know the young people at that one school you're getting to know young people across the nation. Is there an issue that you're seeing our young people in America are really struggling with right now? It's hands down mental health. Mm -hmm. We were talking mental health and I'm changing the narrative before the pandemic happened. Um, and, And a trigger warning to anybody that's listening. After my mom passed away in 2019, I had what I call a dark night of the soul where I almost took my own life. And I, for a moment in time, did not think I was going to talk about it. And I, I l- allowed the devil for me, you can call it what you want, but the, the devil for me, tell me that I could not talk about it because I would be seen as, as, you know, weak and defective and no one would want to book me. But God on the other shoulder said, my girl, oh my girl, I saved you for a reason. And you're a warrior and go talk about it and tell people because it'll help so many people. And so I did. And Minnesota was, Minnesota and Pittsburgh were the first two schools where I openly full out, Minnesota full out, had a Mm. conversation on mental health. And then that year, PJ Fleck said, we're going to have a mental health game. And we've been hosting it together ever since. But when I did that, it took a movement that was already, already on fire. And it just, you know, and, uh, you know, when somebody comes to you afterwards and says, I been where you've been, I've, you know, taken the pills, I was going to drive off the road tonight on the way here, Mm. or i had my letter written and I was going to take a woman told me, she said, I had the letter written. I have the letter written upstairs mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was going to take my life tonight after this talk, because we were, mm-hmm. it was a mandatory thing for us to come to this talk. And she said, and then you told me your story and what happened to you. And she, and uh, she said, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm mm-hmm. going to, going to get help. And, and Alicia, mm-hmm. we, we hugged and are like, I think I wrote about this, but it just to hear me talk, our tears commingled. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't, it, for a long time, it was hard for me to quantify what this work feels like. Mm-hmm. But for me now, I finally found the words. And for me, this side of heaven, it's the closest thing I think I'll ever experience this side mm-hmm. of heaven when you know that you've affected another soul. And it might not even be something as catastrophic as that. It might just be seeing somebody Walking into a store and calling somebody by their name, asking them how their day is. You might be the reason why somebody who's hanging by a thread 
doesn't do something bad or continues to have bad days, just your kindness, your merely acknowledging them. And it's, it's amazing work that, that I get to do. It it absolutely is. And if you haven't bought the book yet, maybe press pause on the podcast (laughs) and go get it because there's so many stories like this in there. One of my favorite stories in the book um, is a story about blueberry muffins. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the story because you need to go read the book because it, it really shows you Rachel's heart and life's that easy. The world is kind of upside down right now. And what the world needs now more than anything is kindness and joy. So Rachel, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for living and being you and showing up for yourself, your family, but so many other people. How can listeners follow you and keep up with your work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we recently had a t- total revamp on the personal side. So just understanding from a branding perspective, I have I'm changing the narrative. And then I have my personal brand, which is RJB. People ask me this all the time, Alicia. They say, well, you know, you're so faith-based. Is I'm changing the narrative faith-based? No, it's not. I am. But I don't go into schools and, and talk about faith. Now, Bobby Bowden did tell me before he passed away, I was fortunate enough to call him a friend. He'd say, Shug you know, you preach in the Bible without ever preaching the Bible. And I said, yes, sir, I I do. It's principles, same principles. And so we just recently did a redo on the RJB side. But if you go to rachelbarbeau.com, there's there's courses, there's this, you know, there's work. I'm I'm doing coaching now. I've coached before. So joy coaching, not executive coaching, not business coaching, helping people create movements, bring things to the world. Um, You can join my email list, all of those things there. And then I'm changing the narrative.org. I, if you're an AD, if you're a coach, just, you know, send me a message. I read my own emails. Nobody else does. (laughs) And I would love to connect with you while I have all these former, you know, schools I've worked with and current, I love to go to a new school. The greatest thing too, is when a player goes to their administration or their coach and says, I heard about her and they end up having me in because the player advocated for me to come in, Alicia. That's really cool. And yeah. we, we, I know you're the real deal because once you said, well, I know you're the real deal for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but I, I think this anecdote will stand out to listeners. Um, you once sent me a screenshot of something and included in the screenshot somehow was your text messages and the number of text messages Rachel had. And you, you could see kind of strings that they were from people she had spoken to. And I'm like, wow, th- th- this isn't like a lie that she's spreading, that she connects deeply with the people she engages with. She gives them her phone number. She I do. Patients, so. and, and you know what's funny about that really quickly is that no one's ever disrespected it. Now, the other day, this is hilarious. A player was like, hey, Rachel. And I could tell he was kind of like, you know, feeling me out. Like, you know, like he was talking to a lady, you know, like a lady, <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. And then he was like, you know, when are you and so-and-so? And I'm like, well, I'm there every two years. Just, and he was like, oh my gosh. And he was, he was respectful. You know, but he was like, oh my gosh, this is the wrong Rachel, Miss Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I hope she's pretty. And you were very you were cool and you were respectful. You were a king, be a king, be a queen. Be a and, uh, but yeah, I've been to my players' weddings and, and I have queens too that I speak to. I've been to weddings. I've sent wedding gifts. I've seen babies be born. My husband, the day he got, the day we got married, there's a picture. One of my kings at SIU is now a fashion designer. His name's mm. Whitley Simon. He got my husband ready oh. for a wedding. Wow. And, like, okay, that doesn't like, like, yeah. 
like just sum it up. Yeah. We got my husband ready for our wedding. That's, wow. that's the power of I'm changing the narrative. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. And I hope things are going well with Rachel too. And yes. nice young man. So Rachel, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. This is such an incredible episode. I hope everybody gets the book. I hope people book you to speak. And thank you for changing the world, changing the narrative and instilling joy and hope in a lot of people. I, I love you, my friend. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.